We have a lot to be thankful for, would you agree? And sometimes we just miss it. Sometimes we're just too focused on what's ahead or what's going wrong around us, and we miss that God is good, and God is active, and God has not left us alone. And this is what Paul does in in this letter to this holy church in Philippi. He he begins with thanksgiving. He, He writes, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm going to go really, really quickly through this passage this morning. Uh, Some of you don't believe me, but I am. I am going to go very, very quickly through this passage. And you know what I just learned? If you never, if you don't understand my sermons, you know who to talk to now, right? You go find David Ashley after the service, and he is going to break it down for you. So that's a good resource for our church. That is really helpful. Actually brings me a lot of peace to know we've got somebody like that. You can, you can interpret my tongues. Uh, Paul begins with thanksgiving. He looks back over the, the short life of this early church and he says, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He says, your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Your partnership in the gospel. Now, I don't know what you hear when Paul writes that. Some people say, well, Paul is expressing thanks for a financial gift that this church had sent Paul because he was probably in jail right now. And in that day, you couldn't survive in jail if people didn't send you financial gifts. So they're thankful for, he's thankful for their financial gift. Maybe, maybe, maybe what we hear when we read this is partnership in the gospel. Paul's thankful that this church is sharing the gospel, that they're proclaiming the gospel, that they're explaining the gospel to their family and their friends in Philippi. Maybe, maybe. But I actually think both those explanations are too small for what Paul is thankful for. When he says, I I rejoice, I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel, I think he's thanking God that Jesus himself has taken root in their lives, in their everyday lives, in their coming and their going, not just in the spectacular religious sorts of things. But but Paul writes some of these things in this letter. He says that that they are to be one in purpose that they are to do nothing out of selfish ambition, do everything without complaining or arguing, rejoice in the Lord, he exhorts them. He says, stand firm in the Lord. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Do not be anxious for anything. I think when Paul says, I am thankful, I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel, it's this, Jesus has taken root in your everyday life. You can't help but see the world in a different way now. You can't help but ask different questions because Jesus has taken root in your lives. And Paul says, I look back over your your short lives as Christian people. I rejoice. I thank God for this. He goes on to say, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, that's a familiar verse to some of you, so familiar that maybe it fades into the background. Don't let it this morning. Bring it forward. Pay attention to Paul's words here. He says, being confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Who began a good work in you. You know what Paul is saying right here? Paul's saying, I knew you when. You have anybody like that in your life? <laughs> yeah, you look good now. You look like you got your business together now. But I knew you when. I knew when you were a mess. I knew, I knew you when you didn't know your left from your right. 
It's embarrassing, right, when with your, you're with your parents sometimes and they're like reminiscing, like, I knew you when you were a snot-nosed little two-year-old, you know. This is what Paul is doing here. He who began a good work, I knew you when you were enemies of God. I knew you when you had never even heard of Jesus because Paul was the first one to bring the gospel to this people. I knew you when. I rejoice, I pray with joy for what God has done for his, your partnership in the gospel because I knew you when. Paul is looking backwards. He's, he's looking over his shoulder at the past, at where God has brought this early church. And he says, so I am confident. I'm confident that he who began a good work in you will what? What does he say? Will carry it out. Will carry it out to completion. So picture Paul for a minute now. He's writing, and he's looking past tense, right? He looks his shoulder. I knew you when. I'm thankful for what God has done. You see? Now he kind of bumps into the future a little bit. You see what he does? He will carry it on to completion. So there's a past tense and now there's a, a future, a little bit of a future tense. And now, now Paul kind of does this. He, he, he puts his hand over his eyes. He squints off into the distance and he gazes into the distant future. Because what does he say? What does he say? He will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In these few words, Paul looks back over his shoulders. God was faithful. I remember when you didn't even know him. And he will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He looks forward. He looks forward to the day where Jesus Christ, who's now ruling and reigning from the right hand of the Father, will return and restore all things. Will make all things right. So Paul says, I, I have confidence. I have confidence that he who began this work is going to see it through. Why does Paul have confidence? One, because he can look back and he can see the hand of God at work. He can tell the stories. He can remember the dark nights of the soul. But not just that, not just looking back, he looks forward and he says, the cross is empty. And because the cross is empty and the grave is empty, we know how the story ends. Amen. We know how this story ends, that Jesus Christ will return, will restore all things. Past tense, future tense, present tense. So I'm confident. Now, today, right here, he who began this work will complete it. Paul has confidence in what God has done and will do. Look at verse 7. It's sort of like Paul put the little parentheses in this, in this opening to his letter. He says, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you. Since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. He says, it's, it's right for me to feel this way about all all of you. This is all y'all, like we say down south. Again, it's hard. We think really individually many times, but this is you plural language. This is the church. This is this new community that's being birthed in Philippi. All y'all, Paul says. It's right for me to feel this way about you. This is not, again, an intellectual thanksgiving. Paul's not sitting back as he's in jail going, 
yes, I feel thankful about this. He feels this in his gut. It's right for me to feel this joy, this thanksgiving for what God has done for you. I I feel this, Paul says. I rejoice in my heart for you, for all of you. Paul says, I'm thankful not just for your individual stories. Yes, it's that. I'm thankful for your community story. I'm thankful for what God has done among you as a people as a new community, as a new family. I rejoice, I take joy, I'm grateful to God for that. That you are being formed into a new people where there once wasn't community, as Lauren said. There's now a community. There's a new family coming together, and Paul says, I am thankful for this. Now, now this gets a little odd right here because he says, it's right for me to feel this way for you. And what would you think comes next? You know, something like, it's right for me to feel this way about you because things are going pretty well for me. Because I, I've been following Jesus, and my life has been going pretty well, and so it's right for me to feel good about how things are going to turn out for you, too. Where is Paul right now? He's in jail. Some scholars believe that Paul can't actually write this letter. He's chained between two Roman soldiers. He has to dictate it. Someone else has to jot it down. That doesn't make sense, does it? It's right for me to feel this joy, this passion, this thanksgiving for you, even though I'm in chains. Now, many of us, we think about our Christian stories, you know, like like, like my life was bad. And then I I met Jesus, and my life is good now. This is sort of how it's supposed to go, right? Everything was falling apart. I met Jesus, and and now, whew, everything's great. This was not the Apostle Paul's experience, if you remember. His life was actually going pretty well before he knew Jesus. He had it together. He was respected. He was a religious leader. He had authority. He had honor. He had privilege. And then he took that faithful trip to Damascus. He was knocked on his back, encounters the resurrected Jesus, and his life just went downhill from there. (laughs) Now, he wouldn't put it that way because he knew what it means to lose the world and gain Christ. He was chained up between two Roman guards. You could say that Jesus wrecked his life. He, he was probably on death row as he writes this letter, waiting for the emperor to give the orders to kill him. And it's in this situation that Paul says, it's right for me to rejoice, to give thanks. He who began a good work in you is going to see it through. How can he say this? How can he do this? He says it's, It's because all of you share in God's grace with me. Now, we can miss this if we're not careful. It's just not all that dramatic, this language here. Paul says it's right for me to rejoice, to feel this way, even though I'm chains, because you all share in God's grace with me. Is that enough? Is that enough to sustain Paul, to give him this joy, this celebration? We all share in God's grace. How can he do this? I want to suggest that it's because Paul knows the past tense and Paul knows the future tense that he's able to see the present tense in a new way. 
You see, Paul can look back and he says, I knew you when. We can all tell the stories about what God has done. Those are indisputable. That's history. Done. Lives changed. Healing. Restoration. Reconciliation. That's all past tense. God has done those things. And because the cross is empty, we know how this story is going to end. We have confidence. We have hope. Because I know the past and the future, I can look at my present and understand it in a different sort of way. This is a word for some of us this morning, isn't it? Because the present tense is looking pretty murky, kind of confusing, a little overwhelming, a little depressing, a little despairing. Yes? Some of us have lost sight of the past tense. We've forgotten what God has done in our lives. We might have friends who remember us when, but we've forgotten we think, no, we, I've, I've always kind of been, you know, had my stuff together. Some of us have lost sight of the cross, the empty cross. We've lost our confidence, our hope in what God has already accomplished in Jesus and what God will one day finally accomplish in Jesus. We've lost sight of that. And so because of that, the present tank gets really murky, really confusing, really cloudy. And so the chains are all we can see. The chains are our reality. The chains were not reality for Paul. Yes, he was in chains. He knew he was in chains. He acknowledges this in his letters. He's not, you know, detached from reality in that way. But the chains were not the full extent of Paul's reality. What was most true for Paul? What what grounded him? What gave him hope? The grace of God that I share with. What what sustains me? What is the air I breathe? What gives me hope? It's God's grace. How can he do this in this situation? It's because he knew where he came from. He knew what God had done, and he knew where God was taking him. You see, church, for some of us, the present tension is defined by addiction, by despair, It's defined by confusion, it's defined by self-hatred, it's defined by apathy because it's just too much anymore. That's, That's the reality for us. Those are the chains of our present tense. And the word for us this morning, church, is look backwards at what God has done and look forward to what we know God will finally do. Amen. So we can see our present tense with new eyes. What's happening right now in your life that you need to look at differently? What's true for you that is actually not supposed to be true for you? You see, Paul says, I can rejoice with confidence. I know that he who began a good work is going to see it through. I thank you for your partnership in the gospel because it's the grace of Jesus that has sustained us then, will sustain us until then, and sustains us now. It was grace then, it will be grace then, and it is grace now. This is my reality. This must be our reality, church. If we miss this, we miss what God has done. We overlook the three different stories we just heard right now. We just brush right past those. Okay, those were nice. Now let's get down to the real business. It's not the grace of God that sustains us. We miss what God has done, and we lose sight of what God will do. And when that happens, we miss how God is sustaining us right now. 
And the chains become our ultimate reality as opposed to the resurrected Jesus who is sustaining us. Amen? Amen. Verses 9 through 11, Paul wraps up this opening section to his letter and he writes this. After kind of opening it up and telling them where they've come and where they're going, he says, and so right now, in the present, in this moment, right here, right now, he says, this is my prayer. This is my prayer for you, he says, as a new church, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Again, he, he knows the past. He knows what God is going to do in the future. And so he can say, so I can pray confidently that you will experience these things right now. This is not wishful thinking. This is not, you know, if you try really hard, this is, no, 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 no. I pray expectantly that this will be present, not just in you as individuals, but that you as this new community will experience this kind of life. He breaks it down. Four different things. First, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. That your love, he says, will abound, will increase, will grow exponentially. We, we as a church talk quite a bit about loving our neighbors, loving our enemies, loving those who feel a long ways away from God, loving those who've been hurt or burned by the church in the past. We desire to be used by God to love those who are not here this morning. Those who feel too far from God or like they could never be good enough for God. We desire as a church to be used to love those people. Amen. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul's talking about loving each other. Now those of you who claim to be a part of this Christian community, Paul said that, that your love may abound more and more for each other. Now, that's, that's just not quite as uh, interesting to us, is it? It sounds more exciting, more risky, more adventurous to love, you know, those people, whoever those people are. But they're not here. They're out there, you know. But you know what's not as interesting as loving the person next to you? Loving the person who just, you know, frustrates you? This is what Paul is saying. Paul is building here, of course, on Jesus' language of the fact that, that all people will know that you are my disciples by your love for each other. That's your new community, that these churches that are going to be popping up are going to be known as people who love each other. Not by how glamorous things are, not how, by how tight your worship set is, not by how good the preaching is, not by how amazing your programs are, by your love. That's what you are to be known by. Now understand that Paul here is not saying by your abstract, theoretical, theological love. Because what does he say? He says, he says that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. You see, this is a, this is a nitty-gritty kind of love. This is kind of an intimate, relational sort of love. This is a, you know me, and I know you, and we're going to still choose to love each other. Because it's easy to love people when you never talk to them. It's easy to love, you know, those people who are out there who God wants us to reach because we never had a conversation with them. They've never made us angry. They've never frustrated us. It's harder to love the person you're sitting next to this morning. 
It just is. It's the law of human relationships. And Paul says, I'm not talking about, you know, that kind of Christian thing that, that people do where they go, well, well, I don't like them, but I love them. You ever hear about somebody say that? I don't, I don't have to like everybody, but, you know, I, I love them. What does that mean? You can't love somebody when you're not in relationship with them. You can't abstractly love somebody. You can't shout across the room, I love you, and never, like, have a conversation. This is not an abstract, theoretical kind of love. This is a nitty-gritty, relational, depth-of-insight sort of love where our lives are opened up to one another. And Paul says this is what is to characterize your community. We can expect this, church. We can expect that as God is at work in our community, this will be the primary thing that we are known for. Love. Loving one another. Not in an abstract sense, but in a, we've got to work through conflict. We've got, we got to learn this kind of multi-ethnic, what, how do you experience this worship? Because I experience it in a different way. How in the world could you think that was a good song when I thought that, you know, that kind of way? This is what Paul is saying. Paul says because of what God has done, because of what God will do, we can expect now that our love may abound more and more. Number two, that you may be able to discern what is best. Now that, that hopefully is an encouraging word to some of you. Because some of you face life right now and it's just like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do, where I'm supposed to go, what the next step is supposed to be for me. I have no clue. Now, on Tuesday, uh, Carlos Dodson and myself and Daniel Mitchmerheisen, we were all here and up on this stage using our sound system were the, the three candidates for the new principal position here at Drake Elementary. And, 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 and Carlos, because he thinks ahead like this in good, helpful ways, he had submitted a question because they took questions from the audience. And his question was something like, if you didn't know there's a church that meets in this school, how would you interact with this church in the future? And it was an amazing thing. Some of you were here for that. And all three of the candidates, now two of them, they don't know anything about our church, but the third one, she's, a, she, she's already at this school, so she knows us. They all three, they all said, oh, we, we just want that relationship to grow. There was no skepticism. There was no, well, we have to kind of feel it out, you know, separation of church and state. You know, no, 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 none of that. There was a, oh, we need help. Mentors, partnerships, after-school programs. And, you know, I'm sitting back, like, middle, middle of the auditorium. I'm like, okay. <laughs> that's a lot. It's a lot of good options. And that's just partnership with the school. Others of you are involved in different ways in this neighborhood and throughout the city. There are so many ways that our church can serve our neighbors. Amen? How do we know? How do we know what to do? See, it's not just you as an individual who looks at your options and goes, I, have, I, don't, I just don't even know where to begin. We as a church also face similar kinds of questions, and we will this coming year. And Paul says one of the things that you can expect because of what God has done of what God is going to do is that you will know the steps to take. You're going to have to make decisions. You're going to have to prioritize things. But the Holy Spirit of God is going to give you wisdom. Whew, is that a relief to anybody or is that just me? That's such a relief to me. Like, oh, okay, okay. We don't have to get it right. We don't have to always get it right. We don't have to exactly know exactly what we're supposed to do. Number three, you may be 
that your love may abound more and more, that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. The truth of the matter is, is that there are plenty of us here this morning who do not feel pure or blameless. We feel guilty. We feel beat up. We feel shameful. Some of us this morning, we feel like we're on that that hamster wheel, right? Of making a bad decision, of sinning once again, and then feeling bad about it, and saying, I'm going to try harder next time, and making it for a little while, and then falling again. And Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Paul says, no, no. As a church, as a people who know what God has done, know what God is going to do, one of the things that you can expect is healing, is restoration, is reconciliation, is purity, is blamelessness. Is that good news? I, 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 I know that some of you right now, because I know myself, I know how this works with you, some of you right now are thinking, it's not true. It's not true. Because I've, I've been here before. I've heard pastors preach about this before. I've studied my Bible before. I've gotten on my knees and prayed really hard before. And I've still fallen back into this addiction. This sinful behavior still categorizes my life. Self-hatred continues to bubble up. The addiction to pornography is still there. I drank too much again this weekend. I know myself. I know you. And there are those of us this morning who hear this gospel news that this new life is available, and we go, no. I tried that many times. Paul places this in front of the church and says, this is not something for you to strive after. This, is, this, is, this purity, this blameless living is not something you can conjure up on your own. It's not something you can dig down deep and find the courage to do or the, the, the stamina to do. It's not there. He's describing things that are going to naturally come up in a church, in a community of people who are marked by what God has done, marked by what God is going to do, marked by the grace of God that sustains them. And so this is the word for some of you this morning. You have got to talk to somebody. You cannot keep carrying this by yourself. Whatever the this is, please, please, even today, would you place it in front of somebody? Do you hear what I'm saying? Would you not do the same thing where you go home and you go, okay, this time I'm going to get it right. This time I'm going to get it all together. This time, God, you're going you're, you're gonna to be happy with me this time. Would you instead, would you bring it to somebody? Talk to me about it. Talk to one of our leaders. Talk to someone in your community group. Talk to the person who you don't even know who's sitting next to you. I mean, you know. Would you place this thing, those things that feel like they are keeping you from experiencing this kind of life of purity and blamelessness that Paul says is available, would you place that in front of somebody today and say, I need your help. I need you to pray the gospel over me. I need you to remind me that these chains that I see are not my ultimate reality, that the grace of Jesus is my ultimate reality. I need you to suggest somewhere that I can get some help. Some of you might just need some help. This is the good news for us this morning. As Paul says, Paul doesn't say, so, so strive after purity. So try to be blameless, to be a good example for people. Paul doesn't say that, does he? He says, my prayer for you 
that this will simply be true for you because of who Jesus is in your midst. Amen? Here's the last thing that he says. That your love may abound more and more, that you may be able to discern what is best, that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, and finally filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. I hope that sounds familiar to you. This sounds an awful lot to me like the Gospel of Matthew. A righteousness that comes not from what we do, not from how hard we try, but from Jesus. Here's the important language that we see in this passage, is that righteousness that we can expect to be present in our church, it's not just something that covers us. See, sometimes we think about the righteousness of Christ as something that that simply covers us so that we are acceptable to God. But what does Paul say? Paul says this is the fruit of righteousness, of Jesus' righteousness in our lives. See, this is Jesus saying that, yeah, Pharisees, you just care about what's going on on the outside of the cup, cleaning up the outside of the cup, but I am concerned with your heart. I don't just want to cover you up on the outside and make you look good. Yes, I want my righteousness to cover you, but I want my righteousness more to just cover you. I want my righteousness to penetrate your hearts, your souls, your minds, and to begin transforming you from the inside out. So that you can, Paul says, bear the fruit of righteousness. Whose righteousness? Not ours. Jesus' righteousness. I, I, maybe that sounds too, you know, kind of theologically abstract. Paul is saying that we can expect the very righteousness of Jesus, the perfect, unblemished Son of God, His fruit, His fruit to be born in our lives. I mean, is that amazing? That's unbelievable that we can expect the fruits of righteousness by the perfect Son of God to be present in us, in our church, in our midst. That's that's nuts. If, that doesn't, if, that, if you're not uncomfortable with that, like, think about that for a minute. Do you know yourself well enough to know how crazy that is? Do you know how unable you are to do that? You're not. Can I just tell you that? You cannot bear Jesus' righteousness on you. You just can't do that. You can't bear good fruit on your own. You can't do that. But Paul says, he who began this good work in you back then, he who will complete it at the day of Christ, will bear his fruit in your lives now. You see, this isn't something we have to try really hard to do. This isn't work that we have to really get after. And man, if we could just get our act together as a church. No. No. This isn't, man, if we, got the, if we could just figure out the right method to do a multi-ethnic church in Bronzeville, then we would, no. This is welcoming Jesus into our midst. Allowing Jesus to bear good fruit. Is that good news? Such a relief to me, church. Preaching to myself this morning. (laughs) And he ends this way. He says uh, in verse 11, that you will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. One of my mentors likes to say that credibility is what other people say about you. You can't, you can't say something about yourself and it be credible. Right? We're just not going to believe you. <laughs> Somebody else says it about you and that's credibility. I've wondered, what, what will our credibility as a church be? You ever think about that? What will our church be known for? Because that's not something we can control. We can't spin that. We can't build buzz, you know, so people... Are, no, 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 no. Credibility is about what people are saying about us. 
It's what our neighbors, it's what about what the school is saying about us. What will our credibility be, church? I hope it's just this. That God has given glory and praise. I tell you, I will be deeply satisfied with that. Will you be satisfied with that? If our credibility is people who look at our church, experience our church, are served by our church, they go, I don't totally get it. I don't always understand them. But the only way I can explain this is the presence of God. The only way I can explain this is that God is actually active and at work in their midst. That's the kind of credibility that we desire as a church. That people's lives will be changed and God will be given the glory. It doesn't really matter to us if people know our name or know about kind of the things that, who cares, right? Who cares? But to be known as a people among who God dwells, who have been conformed and transformed by Jesus, who are, not, who are not blind just to the chains that are present right now, but who know the entire scope of God's story and know the power of grace then and then and now. That's the credibility that we long for as a church. Someone say amen. 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 So this is a word for, I hope, us as individuals, that we know where we came from and we know where we're going and so we know where we stand today, but it's a word for us as a church too, yes? We, we don't have too far to look back. You know, Ramelia kind of pushed it. She said, she said, some of us all the way back two or three years. It's not that far, right? It's not that long. We can remember, some of us. Some of you, it's two weeks, right? You've been here two, three weeks. It's not very far. But we look back together, together, together of what God has done in our midst. And with Paul, we pray with joy for the opportunity to partner in the gospel that Jesus is taking root in our lives. And we look forward to the day when Jesus will return and make all things right for all times and enact the justice of God forever. That grounds us, that sustains us. And so then we can look around right now and go, okay, okay, okay. I can see a little bit more clearly now. Yeah, I've got this stuff in my life and it's true. But it's not the whole truth. I've got this relationship that's falling apart, and it's true. It's true, but it's not the whole truth. I'm not sure how I'm going to pay the bills next week. That's true, but it's not the whole truth. The whole truth is that the very grace of Jesus Christ sustains us. It sustains you then. It will sustain us until the day of Christ, and it sustains us now. It's been complete. God's work has been complete. Good news? Good news. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to invite Pastor Peter Hong to come up after I pray. He's going to share a few words with us before we close our time in worship. Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be working in us in the way that only you can work. We need you to open our eyes up to your reality in the present tense. Help us to look back with courage and be able to testify to what you have done. Remind us of your faithfulness, God. Help us to look forward and to see with clarity that while we don't know all the future holds, we know the cross is empty, we know the grave is empty, we know the Son of God rules and reigns from the hand of the Father right now, and one day we'll return for his people. These things we know. Help us to see clearly where we stand right now. As individuals and as a church, Lord, show us what is true.
what is really, really true. That the very grace of Jesus sustains all that we do. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to bear a credible witness to you in this neighborhood and in this city. A witness that causes people to glorify and praise our God. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, as Pastor Peter comes up, are you going to come up? Are you going like, to run down? Or? Uh, I just want to, if, if, you've, if you are, are somewhat new with us this morning, um, uh, Pastor Peter represents uh, the church that sent us a little over a year ago, New Community Covenant Church uh, in Logan Square. And, uh, and we're here today in many ways because of this church in Logan Square on the north side. But we're, we're here in many ways because uh, this, this man listened to God <laughs> uh, and paid attention to God's vision, not just for him, but for God's people. Uh, and so we, we were here this morning, and we're celebrating one-year anniversary because 12 years ago, Pastor Peter said yes to Jesus. And that church has grown to the point where they were able to send some of us out over a year ago to start a new church here in Bronzeville. So as he comes, I want us to thank him, but also thank the entire church community who he represents for their faithfulness to God, for their willingness to take risks for God so that we literally could be sitting here and worshiping this morning. Amen? Would you welcome him, please? Thank you. Hi guys. So good to see all of you here today. Unfamiliar faces. Regular Instagram. My voice is a little more than a screen for now and a screen. So, this is a table of Ah, it was a great, great morning. Uh, we are uh, at the church going through sort of a
Hey, can we uh, thank both Pastor Peter and Jolene uh, for our denomination, our sending church? Um, we just, uh, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be here if it, if it weren't for that. So I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to sing one more song together, and then I will send you out. Amen? He who began a good work in you and us will see it through until the day of Jesus. Good news? Good news. Very, very good news. Uh, please stay for lunch. Whether you brought food or not, we got enough. So please, please, please stick around. Drop your order form off or your t-shirt for our youth group uh, off in the back there. We're going to get those ordered in the next few weeks. Um, again, just our thanks both to Jolene and Pastor Peter for your being here for the support, the prayer and financial support that you represent to us. We're grateful. Let me pray for you and then be sent out. Lord God, we thank you that you have sustained us in so many ways. If we were to sit down and list them, surely the list would be long and yet we would only be scratching the surface of what you have done. Because even if nobody else really did, you knew us when we were your enemies. You, you knew us when we were clueless to your action in our world. We, we lived opposed to you. You knew us when. And you have seen us through. And you have a future for us, a future in your kingdom, a future in your family that cannot, will not be taken away from us ever, ever, ever. And so we rejoice, God, that we understand what's happening around us through what you have done and what you will do. And I pray for your people now as you send us out that you will give us new eyes to understand the world that we live in, new ways of seeing you, you, you present to us, new ways of experiencing your Holy Spirit's direction and guidance in our lives. God, we thank you for this past year. We thank you for the community that we've experienced, the relationships. We thank you for the stories of changed lives. But most of all, we just thank you for you. We thank you that we have gotten to experience more of you, that we've gotten to taste and see the goodness of our Lord. We thank you most of all just for that. And God, whatever you have for us in the future, would you let that be enough for us, just more and more and more of you? Show us what it would look like to live as a church into the future where Jesus and Jesus alone is enough for us. Send us out, and Lord, now in your peace, your grace, your mercy, and your justice. And all God's people said, amen, amen. We'll see you next week. Go in peace.